0: Welcome to the drive time news blast 30 minutes 50 for subscribers of news of the day from a perspective of truth liberty and justice this is Monica Perez
1: and I'm Brad Binkley
0: well before we get to our top story it is share the show Tuesday where we ask you to share the show with anyone who you think is ready to have the scales pulled from their eyes now if you are a subscriber and you share something behind a paywall, that's not gonna do a lot of good. So if you are a subscriber, share thepropreport.com where people can find a continuous player of all of our free shows. So you can check that out. And also if you know anyone who lives in Ohio or Michigan, today would be a great day to share the show because as per the use, we go ahead and tell people where they're going to be meetups in real life, courtesy of the Higher Side Chats, whose meetups are Of like-minded people with our audience and whose host, Greg Carlwood, suggested or offered up to similar uh, philosophy podcasts that we feel free to piggyback on their meetups. So I had a few meetups, met some higher side chat people there. It's a very good combo. So hang on till the end of the show and I'll tell you where the next higher side meetups are going to be. And in the meanwhile, if you do love the show, feel free to share it or just uh, subscribe or review on your favorite podcasting platform. And with that, let's get to
1: the top story. The Battle of Donbass has begun, according to President Z of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky. He says Russia has begun their attack and what the media is saying could be a decisive battle in the war. Zelensky says Ukraine will not give up. They will continue to fight. The media is reporting on this battle, which they're amping up like it's a playoff game between hated rivals, is claiming that if Russia were to win the Battle of Donbass, it would be but a consolation prize for the Ruskis, since what they really wanted was to take... Kiev. It's all very dramatic, so dramatic in fact that one MSNBC reporter named Malcolm Nance says he's done talking and has joined the war effort On behalf of Ukraine, that goes without saying, obviously, he even posted a photo of himself on Twitter holding an assault rifle, which is interesting in and of itself because you don't typically see Democrats posting gun selfies. But on top of that, while that battle has started, we also have the fighting continuing in Mariupol, where hundreds of Ukrainian fighters, and I think you spoke about this a little bit yesterday, are holed up in the steel plant fighting off these, what they're calling invading troops, according to Ukrainian officials, who also said that at least 100 civilians, mostly women, children and old people, the most vulnerable people, are also hiding in these underground shelters beneath the steelworks, kind of hold up there with the civilians, while a commander of the Azov Regiment of the Ukrainian National Guard has said in a telegram video that Russia has now begun dropping bunker buster bombs on this plant. So what this comes off to me initially... First off, the -the on-the-ground source of information about what's going on in Mariupol that the U.S. media is relying on is coming from the Azov Regiment. The cooperating source that our media is relying on to support the claims made by the Azov are satellite images of what we're told are Russian actions or the aftermath of Russian actions. Satellite images from Maxar Technologies. So we have the primary source, Nazis, And then we have the evidence backing up the Nazis, a Department of Defense contractor that is a propaganda arm for the U.S. government providing satellite images. That's the evidence that we're putting forth here. And then, you know, I've heard them talk in the media and other wars when they have children and women in these bunkers and areas like this where fighting is going on, framed as terrorists hiding behind women and children so that the opposition Mm -hmm. would have to kill women and children in order to kill them. And they were called cowards. Doing this now, this to me seems like the exact same thing. Seems like you're hiding behind women and children and forcing the opposition. And not not to say that the opposition should do that. I think nobody should be killing each other here. I think all well, of the killings. Well, but killing you realize bad. that this
0: is what I did the deep dive
1: on yesterday. Yes.
0: Right? Okay. So the narrative from the West is that there's a thousand um men women and children but mostly like old people and babies in that thing and that the that Russia said get out but they're not getting out then the Moon of Alabama guy said there's 4,000 people there, it's mostly the soldiers, the Ukraine, the Russians absolutely gave them full warning that if you do not get out of yeah. there we are going to start bombing it and the Ukrainians decided to leave them there so that the Russians would have to deal with it rather than moving on to the next stop. Yes. So it- that is, it was completely they warned, they made the decision to take those hits. It's sick and cruel and it's outrageous that the Ukrainian government would do that. I don't have a lot of sympathy for the Azov battalion who has gone out of their way to be in places like a theater or a, or a hospital or whatever to make it look like their atrocities being committed even though they are taking over these places and maybe even confusing the issue and they are the ones who are the super right wing who they had to be created out of the fringe elements because regular Ukrainian soldiers would not fight those people in the east and then um, and I do want to tell you a little bit about what's on the news out here regarding this but Yeah, this was just exactly what I was talking about yesterday. They completely warned them that they would hit it, and they are. And then Ukraine made
1: the decision to leave the guys in there. Well, what they're saying now from Ukraine is that Russia is not allowing the civilians, the women and children, to get out there, preventing them from getting out. They're saying, blaming them on that. And as I said, I know that we've spoken a good bit about the Azov regiment, but what I've noticed over the past couple of days is that the media seems to have changed the way that they are citing Azov as a source of their on-the-ground information about the war. They've been citing them, throughout the war as one of their primary sources. But early on, they said the name off a little more sparingly in their reports and articles. They'd bury the fact that they were the source of whatever the story was in the bottom of the article where no one reads. You know, where you put shady sources of information, they weren't featuring them prominently in their reporting like you would when a source is someone that is universally trusted and loved. Like if Mother Teresa is your source of something back when she was alive, you're probably going to lead with that because the people listening are going to be like, oh, Mother Teresa said so. However, the media now seems to be doing that with the Azov regiment when they're citing them, or at least they're moving towards doing that because they're saying their name more and more, and they're saying it up front in articles even, and they're doing so in a way that just seems to imply that these are the good guys, we know we can trust them, and why would we ever question the validity of their claims? And they've stopped mentioning their Nazi background altogether, even if they ever did. They did years ago when they would report on Ukraine and this group, but now they just kind of sweep it under the rug. It doesn't matter. It's like a normalization of the term and, I guess, of the group as well. I encourage anybody to just go read the whitewash, the Wikipedia of the Azov Regiment Battalion, whatever you want to call it, because even the whitewash makes them sound horrible.
0: Their logo makes them look their like their logo Nazis. the nazi logos
1: <laughs> We funded them in 2015. We trained them and funded them. Trump actually stopped the funding of them in 2018 after it was restarted by Obama. The same media that is now citing them as the absolute sources to trust has admitted that they are white nationalists and Nazis among this group, that they have a history of being Nazis, and then they justify it in the Wikipedia by saying, yes, many of the members of this Azov battalion are aware of the history of the battalion, and maybe they even have tattoos of swastikas on their arm, but... (laughs) They join up anyway because the battalion is known for being good at training people. So it's like saying, hey, so-and-so joined the Nazis. He's familiar with the history of the Nazi party, but he only joined them because they're good at training people to kill people.
0: (laughs) Well, the narrative out here, Bill Handel is the morning guy out here. You know, Handel on the Law, is that's his Saturday show, but he's the everyday morning guy on the biggest station out here KFI. And he... Just, it was like, I know all about geopolitics. I'm going to tell you about this. What happened, what's happening now is these Russian atrocities against these people in the East. they um, Russia will get the East of Ukraine. They will continue to commit atrocities. And just like the Holocaust, we will let it happen and then later say never again. That's what's happening. And we don't do anything about it. And, and, you know, it's, we're cowards because we don't interfere. Yada, yada. Handle
1: on the loss of that. Jake Tapper asked Zelensky specifically about never again. Do you feel like never again? What do you think of that term now that you're involved in this? And Zelensky said that I think that it's it's not true. The world doesn't think it's true because it's happening again.
0: I mean, it was talking points for sure. But then when he was saying this has been happening since 2014 and we haven't been doing anything about it. That's what Bill Handel said. This has been happening since 2014. We haven't been doing anything about it. It's like... Do you know what's been happening since 2014? This is Russia doing something about it.
1: Yeah, he needs to stick the handle on the law instead of propaganda.
0: I think the handle on the law is a side gig.
1: Yeah. So yesterday we were talking about the the nuclear threat and Zelensky kind of teasing the idea of a suitcase nuke or a tactical nuke being used in the story in Pennsylvania. Well, today there's a headline, the moment Putin's nuclear bomber flies close to Ukraine border in major war escalation. And there was videos caught of four aircrafts, one of which could be used to carry could be used to carry nuclear bombs between Moscow and the Ukrainian border. And other than that, there's absolutely no evidence that there was a nuclear bomb in this plane. They have no evidence as to what this mm-hmm. plane What its intent was doing. And the other planes had been used to carry other types of weapons that aren't nuclear bombs. So that's all that we did know is that nuclear bombs were not being carried on most of (laughs) these planes. That's great. See, I just thought that was obviously put there to try and continue onto that theme. Yeah. Yet despite this, the Russian side has come out. And of course, there's going to be the opposing narratives. They've come out and said, we're not going to use nuclear weapons. One of them them basically said that, said that we understood that the threat to everybody using nuclear weapons is is one that we're not willing to risk. And it's not us saying that we're going to use nuclear weapons. It's President Zelensky saying that. And the stuff in Bucha Bucha is staged and faked. He's been saying (laughs) that, but directly in opposition to the nuclear narrative. And it's not being reported at all.
0: Yeah, they are definitely promoting those themes The that that is like a form of atrocity propaganda. It's that yes, constant it terror of what could happen next. And the way I think Putin is preventing World War Three, people might think like he must be stopped now because he's going to invade the rest of the whatever. And then it's going to be nuclear. And and they even have made noise like that, like Sergei. Um, what's his name? Lavrov. He's the foreign minister. He, I think it was he or somebody with that kind of credibility said, we may well see something really scary if you guys don't get out of our way. And I don't think that they are. I mean, they seem to be letting this thing take its natural course. I mean, I think it it was very telling that Bill said that they were going to get the East. And I think they are. I think that's what the since since Tejas and Donbass said it. At the very beginning of this thing he said it was already it was a prepack yeah and that's what they're saying even till
1: now certainly well shifting from one war to perhaps the end of another war the mask wars well delta released their statement so everybody's been talking about the end of the mask mandate the we mentioned this yesterday where they the judge blocked it the response to it is what has been really interesting to me and one particular response delta sent out this note this letter to its employees, and then it was published on their website. So, they announced what the ruling was of the district court, and then they told their employees, Delta employees and customers may continue wearing masks if they so choose. Wearing a well-fitting mask protects the wearer, even if others around them are not wearing masks. And then it starts to get interesting. Given the unexpected nature of this announcement, please be aware that customers... Airline employees and federal agency employees, such as TSA, may be receiving this information at different times. You may experience inconsistent enforcement during the next 24 hours as this news is more broadly communicated. Remember to show understanding and patience with others who may not be aware enforcement is no longer required. Okay, so I thought that that was interesting Mm -hmm. because what that sounds like to me is it sounds like what a general tells his soldiers when a war has ended, but word has not spread to all the other soldiers yet. You know the war's over, but someone else might still be trying right, to fight you. Right, right. So while you can take your mask off, don't hold us Delta responsible as some of your fellow passengers still try and duct tape you to a seat and hold you as a prisoner of the mask wars. I think there, there's the confusion being right. spun up there where... Some people are going to be upset about it, although I don't yeah. really know who's going to be upset well, about Well, the masked Nazis, rate. the mask Nazis. Right. So yeah, I no, think- no, a non-mask Nazi is going to yell at a masked person. Of course. And you also have this kind of see something, say something vigilance theme that's been going around. So with the government no longer having the mandate, you have the mask Nazis. I think it might increase the chances of a mask Nazi taking it into their own hands. Well, if they're not going to stop this, I am. And I think it could possibly increase some conflict if we do get the wrong groupings of people together. And another thing about this is... Just the reaction in the media. They're trying to project this feeling of celebration. Finally, the masks are off. Yay! Like they're dancing in the streets and even almost trying to credit Biden for it, even though it was the judge who blocked it. But it just feels a little bit you know, not authentic, this way of of projecting how happy and celebratory and like like balloons up in the air. Y- if you were held prisoner for two years and your kidnapper finally lets you go, are you going to kick your heels up in the air, give him a hug and thank him for finally letting you out of your cell? No, you're going to punch him <laughs> in the balls is what you're going to do. And people should be mad that it took this long. Not like in celebration. So it just feels really inauthentic, the feeling that they're trying to project about it. And I, I I think there's something else coming here with this.
0: Yeah, maybe. Could be. I mean, in the deepest side of the day, I'm going to talk about China's lockdown. Like, we're, yeah. we feel like it's behind us. We're so relieved, but I'm not so sure that it's all behind us.
1: Yeah. So I, I didn't see this until after the show yesterday, but we were talking about that Easter, Easter bunny hunt. <laughs> Yes. Well, apparently Biden was speaking to a bunch of reporters and some children and other guests at the event, and he just started discussing Afghanistan. I think a reporter oh prompted gosh. him. And he was making a mistake, according to the article. They don't give the full context of the question here, and I didn't hear it. But what you do see in the video is after he starts to make the mistake, I think confusing Pakistan and Afghanistan, a giant Easter bunny walks up to him and and starts doing all these hand movements and hugging him and completely distracting <laughs> him away from the questions being asked and turns him away. Turns out it was a White House press official and the director of message planning who was dressed as the Easter Bunny. So, like, the propaganda coordinator was dressed as the Easter Bunny so to she get him could him to covertly yes, get him to shut up but he says the wrong thing.
0: <laughs> It's His lit. handler was a giant Easter yes. Bunny.
1: I mean, what a great Funny. way to slip a CIA agent or something in yeah. there in one of those things. I mean, it just yeah. looks—he really does look kind of like he was having so, uh, a senior moment, a you know, forgetfulness, and very deliberately went over there and intercepted him. Inter- an bunny.
0: Infiltrated by a furry.
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: So here's a little something that goes on the heels of things that you've talked about in the past about the corporate buy up of single family homes and other traditionally um, individual owned housing like BlackRock or Blackstone, I think, does the alternative investing and some homeowner associations are fighting back. So this is this is definitely a scary thing. It was weird. I noticed it in 2008. There was this massive crash in the single family housing market. I lost my entire down payment on my house. And so when I did move, I didn't have any Any equity built up and I couldn't buy another house, but that's right. I mean, whatever. A lot of things have changed since then, but uh, I just, I noticed that that was a major phenomenon and it really pushed a lot of people into renting, people not buying new houses. And a lot of these corporations were buying up the single family houses for a rental market and a new rental demographic emerged, which was kind of worrisome because the number one savings device, the number one asset of the American middle class has been their homes. And it's a lot of times what you can do is if you pay off your mortgage over 30 years of working, then in the end, you own your house and you can sell it for good money, maybe in a... More urban area and then find like a little retirement place and have a nest egg off which to live, which is a, it was just a good model. And of course, that's a model that accrues capital to the middle class and these corporate overlords do not like that. So they took advantage of that 2008 subprime mortgage crisis and started to transform that market. Now, there was recently a big surge in people buying houses in this COVID era. I don't really understand how prices went up when the entire economy crashed. And now, of course, we have all the inflation from the stimulus and everything. So prices, uh, now I understand why prices are up. But a lot of people locked in those really incredible 30-year fixed rate mortgages at very low interest rates. So... If there is, and I think there will be like an employment crash and also a housing crash, some people, even if they lose their jobs because their interest rates, their mortgage payments are so incredibly low, they don't have to lose their houses. Even if they had to move to a different city, they could rent their houses out because their their payment on their mortgage is so, so low. So when I saw this article about homeowners associations wanting to fight back against corporate businesses, buying corporate entities, buying these single family houses in their communities, I thought, you know, I'm not a big fan of regulation, but um, they do it a lot in New York condos and co-ops where they'll take, they'll say like, you can't, this isn't going to be, you know, a corporate Airbnb situation. This is for individuals have to be screened to buy a place here. We have a culture in this building. We want people to be responsive. We want people to live here and care about the noise level and all that kind of stuff. Very strict in New York like that. And um, plenty of people get turned down from even being able to buy a condo in a building because of, I mean, it really is strict. So the article is all about these homeowner associations saying that they can't, they can't, uh, not saying that corporate buyers can't buy but saying that uh, only a certain amount of houses in the neighborhood can be rented and renters need to go through a screening process at the hoa the problem with that is it doesn't target corporate owners over regular owners at all and and so actually when we moved out here we rent a house, but we bought a house in the desert where we may end up retiring and we Airbnb it in the meanwhile. Well, they passed this new law after we bought it that you couldn't rent it out for less than 31 days. So that really impairs your ability to rent it out. It totally changes the model of whether or not you can continue to own that home. And I feel like this may play right into the hands of those corporate buyers as individuals can't hang on to those homes, can't rent them out because there are all these limits on how they can rent them out. So if they have to find a new job, they have to give up that fantastic 30-year mortgage, which they will absolutely at really low rates that they will never see in the rest of their lifetimes, possibly walk away from all the equity they built up in the home because prices do look like they're going to crash. And and what w- what will the outcome be? The outcome be, will the only buyer left will be those corporations and the HOA will lift those rules once the the crash happens there. I'm very worried about that. And to think that it's like a plot, I noticed that there was another article just today about uh, two young men were killed and eight other people wounded in a shooting in Pittsburgh, again, Pennsylvania, in an Airbnb rental property. So why, you know, highlight that? I've seen a few things about that. I'm afraid that They are going to make it so that Airbnbs have more restrictions against them or liability protection will be really, really high and only the really big guys are going to be able to afford the insurance on that. And again, that would play into the corporate ownership of some of these places. And I really, I feel like that trend is going to continue and that the unfortunate Side effect is going to be increasingly less ownership, which, of course, goes to that World Economic Forum thing. You know, I own nothing. I have no privacy and I'm happy. I think that that the one greatest asset of the middle class was their homes. And now I think they uh, that that is under very serious attack.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's four sale signs in a lot of neighborhoods that friends of mine live in that are being bought up by those big big companies because nobody else can afford the houses right now.
0: Yep. I'm with you there. All
1: right. Before we get to the deepest dive of the day, where we will try to get to the bottom of China's latest lockdown, I want to tell you what we're going to talk about in the XR, which is more on Alex Jones's bankruptcy and a World Economic Forum idea that's actually good. Maybe we'll find out. (laughs) But before we get to that, if you haven't yet, do us a favor and check us out on Patreon. Patreon.com slash propaganda report. It's one of the many ways we support the show. We do a lot of cool stuff, a lot of informative stuff on there. We publish bonus content every day of every weekday. So regardless of what tier you sign up for, you're gonna be getting that premium content from us during the week. And on top of that, exclusive content, you'll get this show, the drive time news blast, Monday through Thursday, and some Fridays ad-free. We take out the ads for the subscribers, giving you the DMB plus the premium XR full hour of listing with no commercial breaks. You're going to get that regardless of the tier you sign up for. We also give subscribers premium uh, tier options with Interviews, early releases, patron Q&As, and DPP, disappearing patron parties, where things can get uh, a little little interesting sometimes. And we also get access, you also get access to the Propaganda Report community, which is very engaging, highly attractive, and one of the most <laughs> intelligent Patreon communities you're going to find. true. On the internet. It really is. It's very, very true. It's a fantastic community. So check us out there. The tiers start at seven dollars a month. Patreon.com/slash propaganda report. And we have a Zoom party coming up this Saturday. Is that correct? Yeah, that's gonna be fun. Yeah, so check that out. If you want to attend that Zoom party, you can check out that tier. And now on to the deepest dive of the day.
0: Well, the HOA thing was a little bit of a deep dive, but this is a super deep dive because we're talking about this China COVID restrictions. So have you heard this, that Shanghai continues to be locked down? They had one of the most stringent lockdowns since the beginning of this thing because of the Omicron variant. Okay. Shanghai is 25 million people that, that, so the people, number of people affected by this 25 million people confined to their homes since late March. So that's coming up on a month. It is straining domestic logistics networks. I guess they're having a hard time feeding people. I've actually heard that and dealing a blow to manufacturing, construction and service sector activity. So that's what's being hit here. Manufacturing construction and service sector activity, which is pretty much everything. So, This is saying the Wall Street Journal article I was reading said that Beijing has a zero tolerance approach to Omicron and other cities might follow, which will affect global supply chains as well as China's export machine. Now, for me, zero tolerance is totally nonsensical and it's an unattainable goal because it's the only goal that in a way could justify lockdowns for without a cost benefit analysis, because what you're saying is we have zero tolerance. So any case of this stuff, and like false false positives will be, you know, you're you're never going to be able to have zero, right? So if that's your standard before you even decide whether you're going to weigh the benefits and costs of a policy, then you're always going to be able to justify lockdowns. Now, the I consider I think all of this is going towards Um, reinforcing the supply chain issues, like so many different issues, problems, perfect storms, policies, everything have come together to screw up the supply chain. I mean, everything from ships being grounded to um, weird railroad and trucker problems that had nothing to do with COVID. It's really, really weird. So, this, the article is saying that the, that this, these supply chain issues that, that can emanate just from Shanghai alone will prevent raw materials, inputs, and labor from reaching the factories there. Those will keep finished products from reaching customers and could mean that exports see no growth from out of China for the first time in nearly two years. So, I mean, for China to not experience export growth, export growth is almost impossible to, Yeah, that's a a whole new regime there, a whole new uh, epoch dawning. Now, I don't think it's permanent. I think they're, they're up to something. I haven't really cracked the code on that yet, but the another, they have a rigid pandemic testing rules and lengthy quarantines imposed on truckers that has sharply reduced road freight capacity. So they're doing a lot of things at once. Now, the local governments, whatever, are complaining that all they're trying to do is control infections and not prioritize, uh, what I call second order effects of lockdowns, such as, um, you know, the, the supply chain issues. They say that in the past two years, the lockdowns have hit hardest small businesses in particular those in human contact-reliant industries, such as restaurants and tourism, and that it will continue to hit even harder into those sectors. So employment is hit, consumption is hit, auto sales, even the effectiveness of government stimulus will suffer as lockdowns continue because nobody can really spend the money they're getting. Small businesses, interpersonal jobs, all this stuff is going to continue to suffer. So this is all based on a surge in Omicron in Shanghai. Have you read at all about the, the statistics of the numbers of the cases and deaths and stuff in Shanghai this round? No. Okay. So in an article alongside this article in today's paper was an article that said Shanghai reports the first COVID deaths since the start of the last lockdown. Okay. In this city of 25 million people, They've had like something like 25,000 at the most. I think the highest one day total I noticed was 25,000 cases in one day. Okay. They just reported the first deaths. Three people died. So far, since this lockdown began three or four weeks ago, three people died. One was an 89 year old woman. One was a 91 year old woman. And one was a 91 year old man. They were all reported to be unvaccinated. They're reported to have gone to the hospital and crashed after arriving at the hospital, which is a completely bizarre and totally suspicious pattern that we also report. So I'd like to know what they're doing to people when they get to the hospital. And all of them had severe underlying conditions, severe. So for a for an average age over 90, they have locked down 25 million people who are having a hard time getting food. I mean, people will hurt each other, and they are. They're starting to have uh, altercations because the stress level is so high. So it's very weird. Like, obviously, COVID is a false force multiplier for underlying issues, which is straight out of the report from Iron Mountain. And why on earth would you have a zero-tolerance policy? when the only people who are dying have, are, it's a tiny fraction, three people. And they said there's 4 million people in that city over the age of 65. So you have a three, less than one per million in that demographic of people dying, yet they're locking down 25 million people. Uh, they are continuing to do that. There's a city of Woohoo that has become the latest to impose a full lockdown. It's testing all residents for COVID after the discovery of a single infection, a single infection. Um, it says that they, people are, shat- their nerves are shattered and uh, the government has instituted strict controls in Shanghai, including everyone in the lockdown or high risk districts are subject to daily antibody and nucleic acid testing, which I guess is a PCR test uh, through Thursday. So they're, they have to test, they have to see if they've even had it already through the antibody tests. Now, I don't know if a little bit of an element of this is that Uh, The vaccine rates are low. They won't say, they didn't say in this article how low the vaccine rates are. They just said that they're relatively low, especially among old people and that the vaccine over in China requires three doses to be as effective as to the two dose American ones, which they won't allow. So maybe this is something to pressure people into the vaccine, kind of the way when a teacher says, if you don't tell me who did it, the whole class has to stay in at recess. So if these old people don't start getting vaccinated, all you young people are going to starve to death. I mean, it could be some of that. But I do think underlying it all is supply chain. But the fact that they're they're Locking down 25 million people who are having problems getting food for what, after the fact, amounted to three people with an average age over 90 dying. To me, there's absolutely nothing that could justify that. But I just thought, like, if people, if you want to know what's actually going on over there, it is not making any sense.
1: Did I play that clip for you of the China representative at I think the Brookings Institution, where they were doing the panel discussion on China's new lockdown, where he said that what's going on is the shaping of behavior, the changing of culture, essentially, and that it could be a permanent. I think I did play it. I'm not quoting it, it, quoting it exactly. But he was saying that what's really happening, the effect of it is that it is changing people's behavior and that he worries that it could be used to control the population rigidly moving forward in the future. It seems to be an experimentation, another grand social test to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I guess I feel like if you want to have a habit stick, you do it and then you do it again, like if you want to teach somebody yeah. how to do something, yeah, you kind of repeat it and give them a break and see what happens and maybe prolong the amount of time next time.
1: Right. It's like so, that's what could happen with the mask stuff over here. You give people a break, see who it sticks with, and maybe you do it again. Maybe,
0: Yeah. No, I mean, people are talking about expecting this to come down hard again and i have heard several people say that it's going to be in the form of an avian flu there was an article about a bird flu affecting bald eagles so that's highly emotional i was going to bring it today but i didn't have time to hit it so we'll get to that tomorrow all right fantastic we got any shout outs today oh yeah just the one shout out for um a meetup a higher side chat meetup on april 28th At 6 p.m. at the Roadhouse in Swanton, Ohio. So I guess that's by the Ohio Michigan border. If there is a Ohio Michigan border, (laughs) I should probably know that. But it said that it was alerting people in Ohio and Southern Michigan at the Roadhouse in Swanton. That's at the, uh, it's, if you want to look at the details, hiresidemeetups.com slash events.
1: All right. Fantastic. You guys can find your drive time news blast every weekday afternoon at the PropReport.com or your favorite podcasting platform or app under the Propaganda Report podcast feed. If you want access to that extra content or that Zoom party we have coming up this weekend, you can check us out at Patreon.com slash Propaganda Report and subscribe there. We will talk to you all tomorrow or in the DMBXR. Have a fantastic Share the Show Tuesday.